on Luke and on Ocher, they, they focused on, on kind of one or two of these statements that Jesus made uh, that we find in the Gospels and um, controversial statements, difficult things that, that Jesus said. And they focus on kind of one or two this morning, as it's our last time, I just felt to actually go through a whole bunch of them. So we're going to read, we're going to start off just reading a whole lot of difficult things that Jesus said, um, and then three responses to some controversial things that, that Jesus says. Okay, so I think we need to remember that as, as loving and as kind and as compassionate and as merciful and as patient as Jesus was, he was also radical. And he caused offense. <laughs> and he caused controversy. And um, I think it's so important for us to be confronted again with just what Jesus said, the life that he led, and who he was. So let's just read a few of these, of, of these scriptures together. The first two are on John uh, Meshach, if you can put them up on the screen. So these are two of the I am statements that Jesus made. Uh, in John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus making pretty bold, exclusive claims to how we can be saved and how we can know the Father. And these are, there are there's seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the, in the book of John. And for the Jews, that was hugely offensive because... Um, when God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3, what was the name that he gave himself? I am. And so Jesus saying this over and over, using this language, saying, I am, I am, I am. He's making a statement about who he was. And that caused so much tension with the religious leaders. Because um, he's basically, he's saying, I am God. And the only way to know the Father is, is through me. Luke 9.23, something else controversial, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Would you agree that that is a difficult statement, a hard statement? And a world that, that kind of where it's normal for each one of us to really be the center of our own universe. We're all thinking about our desires and our dreams and our ambitions. Jesus is saying, deny yourself. Take up a cross. Follow, follow me. Matthew 18, verse 3. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In a world where we, we put so much uh, emphasis on, on kind of knowledge and we, we kind of build people up and we esteem them, the higher they go, the more platform they have, the more power and influence they have, Jesus is saying you've got to become like kids. Kids don't have a platform or an influence or a sphere of influence. They, they just come with that childlikeness. If we want it, and we can't enter the kingdom unless we become like children. He also says something about the rich. Mark 10, 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And by the way, if you drove here this morning, 
That includes you and me. All of us with access to an abundance of resources. And it's so easy for us to place our trust and our hope in those resources. And so that's why he says it's difficult. Because there's so much vying for our trust. Matthew, I've got three up there from, from Matthew 5. We're in quick succession, he says some pretty radical things. Blessed are you when people insult you. Just think about that for a moment. <laughs> That's not exactly our hashtag blessed life um, tag that we would go through, you know. In our eyes, you're blessed when you get that promotion or when things work out in that relationship or whatever. But he's saying, blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one as well. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Some crazy things that Jesus is saying here. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And similar thought in Matthew 10, 34, do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. He says, even with, amongst family members. And uh, I think Chad preached about this. So obviously, we understand here when Jesus is saying hate, we're not saying we dishonor, or we badmouth, or we walk away from, from parents. But in following Jesus, we're going to sometimes have to make some very difficult choices. There's sometimes going to be very difficult consequences of following Jesus faithfully. And I don't think we necessarily in South Africa see this so much, but there are nations in the world where following Jesus literally means being disowned by your family, being kicked out of your family, Sometimes even death from your own family members. Right, so how do we respond? Those were just 10. <laughs> but Jesus says a bunch of very difficult, controversial, offensive things. How do we respond to this? And I just want to give us three this morning. The first one is to fight familiarity. The second one is to renounce the religious spirit. And the third one is to go for glory. Okay, let's speak about the first one, fighting familiarity. Would you agree with me that Jesus preached a kingdom that was completely upside down? So upside down, so against the grain of what we would think is normal and right. And um, he just came upsetting everybody because we as humanity, we're on this path and this is what it means to follow God and and he's coming and he's saying, he flips everything where the first are suddenly lost and lost the first and the greatest, is, the greatest are the children and the servants. He's just preaching this absolutely upside down kingdom. And the problem is that we become so familiar with the message of Jesus, with the life of Jesus, with the parables and with the stories that sometimes they don't provoke us anymore. But they are truly provocative. <laughs> the Gospels should not be easy reading for us. 
And I think for, for many of us, you know, growing up and hearing the, the stories, think, think of the story of the, of the Good Samaritan. And uh, I know that story. And yeah, the man came along and the others didn't want to help him. But yes, be, be a Good Samaritan. But that, that is a difficult story if you're going to read that parable again. And just allow it to, to kind of really cut into your heart of this has implications for the way that I live my life. But the problem is that we become so familiar and so comfortable with the Gospels. And um, for myself, it's, I guess, kind of like a value that I, I try to place in my life is I never want to become familiar with Jesus. And um, I would say it as a worshiper, and I don't mean that as a worshiper who leads worship on the stage, because all of us are, are worshipers, but... If you think of worship is a response to a revelation of God. That's what worship is. Worship is just responding to a revelation of God. If you look, whenever people encountered God in Scripture, whenever they suddenly had a revelation, maybe they had a vision of God, uh, or, you know, when Jesus took his, a couple of the disciples up the mountain and they saw him for, for who he is, the, the automatic response to a revelation of who God is is to worship. And if I don't have a fresh revelation of who he is. If I've become familiar with him, I can't worship rightly. My worship is diluted when I don't have a fresh revelation of who he is. And so we have to fight familiarity because what we do is we become so comfortable with, with Jesus that we, we kind of become familiar with him and then we actually start to shape him into a God of our own understanding. We begin to twist the things that he says to fit what affirms my lifestyle and my way of doing things. I remember once um, speaking to a musician. I had to con confront him about a couple of difficult things. And um, I just remember in the conversation him saying, no, he doesn't think Jesus would have a problem with that. And that for me is just the danger of familiarity with Jesus, we begin, we, where we begin to put words in Jesus' mouth, where we accept certain parts of Scripture, but we kind of skip over other parts, where we twist what he says and what he means, and we actually serve a God of our own understanding and not the Jesus of Scripture. So a few important questions, I think, to ask ourselves regularly is, does Jesus offend me? Does Jesus disagree with me? And when I'm praying, does Jesus sometimes say no? Hey? Those are good questions to ask because if Jesus never offends me or disagrees with me or says no, I'm in danger of becoming familiar with him and serving a Jesus of my own understanding and not the Jesus of Scripture. That is the power of familiarity. It's not just about whether I feel like offering a worship song or not. When I have a fresh revelation of who he is. You know, it can just be the story of the blood and the, and, uh, and the body that was broken. But like when I really see him for who he is, I'm able to respond rightly. When I, when I read 
what he says in the word. <laughs> and I take him at his word and my heart is open to receive. I'm not familiar. It has implications for the way that I live. And so this series of, of controversial statements is not just like an intellectual exercise for us, to, for us to go, wow, Jesus was quite controversial. And there were those religious rulers who had big problems with, with what he was saying. And let's think about all the controversial things that Jesus did and then go home and continue our lives. This is not an intellectual exercise. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to provoke us again. We need to allow the Scriptures to provoke us again. I love what um, Armour has been saying as he's been preaching. He says it's not about the, the Pharisee out there. It's about the Pharisee in here. It's so easy for us to point fingers at the Pharisees. But Jesus, come and root out any Pharisee inside of me. Anything that responds wrongly to the hard truths of who you are and what you say. Come and crucify my flesh. Let's become ruthless with everything that keeps us from him from knowing him and from following him. I think we become so, so comfortable with our, our sin. We, come, we become so comfortable with the things that maybe aren't quite so pleasing to him. They become almost like an old friend. I was speaking to somebody this week, a, a pastor who's work, walking a road with somebody and who's describing this person who has a relationship in their lives which is just so unhealthy for them but they just do not want to let go of this relationship. And I think that's just such a, an example of, of sometimes what we do with, with sin in our lives. They, it becomes this comfortable place. It becomes this old friend that we don't want to let go of that relationship. We know that it's unhealthy. We know that it's coming between us and Jesus, but we're not quite ready to, to let go of it. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to provoke us so that we are willing to let go of anything that comes between us and Him. Jesus, please come and offend anything that's ungodly in me. Is that a prayer that we're willing to pray? <laughs> Jesus, come and offend anything ungodly within me. Um, we, we lived in Stellenbosch for about 17 years until two and a half years ago. And um, a few weeks back, we were back in Stellenbosch, uh, just visiting friends and family. And people always ask me, you know, how's it going in George? And I always say, it's heaven. It's like, it's the promised land. Uh, and really, we, we have had the best two and a half years of our lives as a family. It's been absolutely amazing. And kind of, as they're asking, why is it so great? You know, I'm reflecting and... And honestly, one, one of the reasons our last two and a half years has been so amazing is just this community. We are so, so, I can't overstate how grateful we are for this community and for this church. Um, but I think another reason it's been so liberating for us as a family is sometimes when you go through a big move, and just like, because we came here, like it's a big fresh start for us, you suddenly realize those little things that you'd become so accustomed to in your life that you'd grown comfortable with. And then I was like, I, 
I, I need to deal with some things. There's some things in my heart that just kind of live there, and I need to, I need to deal with this. And then, and then there's freedom. Once, once we recognize these negative patterns or, or thoughts or whatever it is, habits, once we become aware of them, then we can, we can take them to the Lord and we can deal with them. But I, I don't think we should have to move across the country to, to do that. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to come and, and shake. Shake in our hearts. If there's anything in there that we've become just accustomed to, familiar with. And understand, this is not, this is not for the sake of us just becoming these self-righteous people. But the, what is the goal? The goal is knowing Jesus more fully. The goal is knowing him more fully. If there's anything that holds me back from knowing him more fully, I want to deal with that. Becoming more like him so that I can glorify him better. Amen? And so Jesus was offensive and controversial. It was the rulers, obviously, who didn't like, the religious rulers who didn't like the way that he did things. Messing with their traditions and the, the way that they saw life. It was his disciples as well. They were also offended with him because remember, after a while, they're starting to get excited. Jesus, uh, He's, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one we've been waiting for. And now they're waiting for him to, you know, grab a throne and a scepter and, and overthrow the Romans who are oppressing the Jews. They're waiting for a king. But he didn't come as a king in that way. So he offended them as well. He, even John, uh, John the Baptist, you can go and read in, in Matthew 11, how he became offended with Jesus. He was the one who in the beginning said, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And then, I don't know how long afterwards, he ends up in prison. And uh, prison can probably be a pretty discouraging place to be. And after a while, he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, Are you the Christ, or must we look for another? Jesus is offensive in the way that he comes in a different way to what we expect. He does things differently to what we expect. We're like, no, Jesus, that's not the way I wanted you to move. That's not what I wanted you to say. That's not what I wanted you to do. But he offends us because he does things so differently. And Omar last week, um, when he was preaching, he mentioned one of my favorite kind of responses in the Gospels. In, in John 6, where Jesus said to the, the people who were around him, you know, if you want to follow me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's a great way to, you know, make a statement. A lot of people left. And then he turns to his disciples and saying, are you also going to leave? And then Peter says this, which is one of my favorite lines in, in the Gospels. Jesus, you have the words of life. Where else can we go? So as offensive as Jesus is, as difficult as it is to sometimes take what he says and live that out in my life, he has the words of life. Where else can I go? So really the aim of everything that we're saying is not just to speak about controversy, but to get to the heart of following and knowing Jesus, to know him more fully and become more like him so that his word would cut our hearts. That's the purpose of the word is to cut our hearts, that the word would expose my wrong thinking and my, the half-truths that I believe, 
the wrong impressions I have about who he is and about who I am. And so I think that the reason Jesus used offensive language was to cut to the heart. Jesus says difficult things to cut to the heart of man. Because when he says these things, we need to respond. And so scripture should provoke us out of our sense of comfort into faithfulness, into following, into following Jesus. And following Jesus isn't always comfortable. <laughs> there was a, an article that came out a little bit earlier this week um, in Desiring God that I thought was said it so well because he spoke about how the Holy Spirit doesn't only comfort but also disturbs. And I think we, we so often, you know, we, we, we love and we're so thankful, for, we're so grateful for the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but we don't always embrace when He wants to come and shake, when He wants to come and provoke. In the article it said this, how easy it is to downplay God's holiness, evil's contortedness, humanity's sunkenness, sin's deceitfulness. How subtle to laugh of death's suddenness, hell's foreverness, Christ's exclusiveness, judgment's nearness. How comfortable to never lay siege to flinty, to hard hearts, and to leave the scalpel outside the operatory, outside the surgery. Just in your own heart, just join me in saying, Holy Spirit, we don't only want your comfort, we want your conviction. We welcome your conviction to root out anything in me that does not glorify Jesus. I'm going to have to move it. Second one. Speaking about responses to the controversial things Jesus said. The first one was to fight familiarity. The second one is to renounce the religious spirit. I'm going to tell you a funny story. I feel a bit vulnerable sharing the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. A few weeks back, uh, Chuck Perry visited us, um, and he's a minister from across the world, and we had a time on the Monday morning as a staff just spending time with him, and then we asked him just to kind of facilitate time of encountering Jesus together. It was beautiful. I can't remember if we sang. I think we just maybe prayed. After a while, I end up on my back just enjoying the presence of God. The presence of God was just so tangible. And I'm just kind of lying on my back, looking up, uh, eyes closed. And then I, I kind of get this vague impression of, of the face of Jesus in front of me. So I don't see detail, but I just sense like the face of Jesus right here in front of me. <clears throat> and I'm just enjoying the sense of the face of Christ right in front of me. And then Jesus, in this like image that I have of him, takes out a bottle of bubble mixture do you know what bubble mixture is? They're things that kids play with. That little plastic tube and you unscrew the cap and it's got a little hole and you blow bubbles through. For those of your parents, you know that they last about 30 seconds because as the kid is blowing their first bubble, they're like, the, the mixture runs out on the ground. Thank goodness it's cheap. So. <laughs> but anyway, so this comes out of absolutely nowhere. I see Jesus pulling out this bubble mixture and he starts blowing bubbles in my face. And like, 
And I'm, I start laughing because this is really like a funny picture. I've never seen Jesus blow bubbles in my face before. But then he keeps going and he keeps going. And this picture that I'm having, he keeps blowing bubbles in my face. And now it's becoming like really funny. And after a while, it's like I can't stop laughing. I'm just because he just, he's like relentless in the bubble blowing. And <laughs> it keeps coming. And then after a while, like when I'm like laughing hysterically, I feel him, like I have this picture, this image of him starting to like kiss me all over my face and in my neck and like all over. And it reminds me, sometimes when I play with my kids, if I like kind of wrestle with them or, and have fun, like I love to like pin them down, like kiss them all over their face and like ears and nose and like all the uncomfortable places. And, um, and I felt Jesus doing this to me. It was the most random experience I've had in a very, very long time. And, uh, and I, I just enjoyed it so much. And in that week afterwards, what I felt so strongly, kind of just processing why Jesus was blowing bubbles in my face and kissing me in my neck, was it's so easy to respond to Jesus religiously. And there's a, the religious spirit is a real thing. Where we feel like Jesus does this, but he doesn't do this. And I just felt like what he did in that day is he came and just broke some of my boxes. So that I could see him more clearly. And honestly, the fruit of those bubbles <laughs> in the last few weeks, I, my life was changed that day. As I encountered again the love of God, as I encountered the joy of the Lord, and it was amazing. It like it came just before our pastor's summit, where some really significant things happened. That praise God, I was able to facilitate, and it, it was just like an authority that came from Jesus blowing bubbles in my face. But it wasn't the bubbles; it was repenting, because that's what I did after that. I I had to repent for submitting to a religious spirit and not the Holy Spirit. And I think this is so important for all of us in following Jesus to renounce the religious spirit and submit to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who leads us in the truth of who he is. The religious spirit is all about religious activity, doing all these things. Jesus speaks in, uh, in Matthew 15, 8, that these people that honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Also, 2 Timothy 3 speaks about this form of godliness, this appearance of godliness, but denying the power. And so when Jesus does something that we don't expect, whether it's blowing bubbles in our face or whether we're reading in Scripture, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. When he says difficult things or does things we don't expect, we can respond in submission to the religious spirit or we can respond to the Holy Spirit. And who of us want to see the power of God manifest in our lives, in our workplaces and in our families and in our city and in our nation? I believe you wouldn't be here this morning if you're not, you're not, you're not here for the music or for the, somebody to speak. We're, we're here because we want to encounter Jesus together. And it is so important for us to recognize and repent of every time we respond in submission to the religious spirit, not to the Holy Spirit. So at the end this morning, I want us to actually take a moment just to do that.
the religious spirit that makes us not want to shake the boat or do something too crazy or, you know, not move in faith. Okay, ending off here. Third response to the difficult things Jesus said, go for glory. I don't know how you can sum up the, the kind of everything that Jesus taught and lived His message was one of love the Father and love one another. It was the kingdom. It was authority. It was serving. It was sacrifice. Uh, it was humility. But if there's, a fra- there's one phrase that he used a lot that encompasses for me so much of the message of Jesus that sometimes when I, I feel like I'm making things too complicated, I just need to come back to this where he says that we must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That for me just sums up so much of our response to Jesus, is to deny myself. In other words, to surrender everything of myself. It's no longer myself at the center of my universe, it's Jesus at the center of my universe. To take up my cross, which is an offensive instrument, means that I'm crucifying myself, it's, I'm dying to self. It's no longer I who live, it's him who lives in me, and I'm following him. He's leading me somewhere. And so Jesus calls us to forsake all other loves, all other idols, all other comforts in following him. And the world offers us so many opportunities for false comfort and false love. And uh, as I said, I was in Stellenbosch a couple of weeks ago, and I just, I mean, that place is just another world. Like, the wine farms and the coffee shops and the mountain bike trails and everything. And I mean, it's not like we have it badly here in George either, right? There's mountains that you can run in, and there's oceans that you can surf in, and all these incredible opportunities, not bad things in and of themselves, things to be enjoyed for the glory of God, but they are things that are are asking, are competing for the attention and the affection of our hearts. And Jesus is saying, don't go for that, go for a greater glory. Go for a greater glory. There's that parable um, in Matthew 13 where he speaks about the man who finds a treasure hidden in a field, sells everything that he has to get that treasure. If you word it differently, there's like a glory hidden in a field. I will sell everything I have to see that glory. I want, I want that glory. And um, I really believe that there's a glory that God wants to pour out upon a people who would deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow him. From the Old Testament, it was... It was Moses encountering the presence of God, his face shines, it radiates the glory of God. To, you know, even Jesus praying in John 17, the high priestly prayer, he prays the same glory that the Father, Son, Spirit has, he wants for us. And that's within the context of the oneness that they experience, the community that they experience, so we must be one. But there's a glory that God wants for the people of God. A weight of glory that rests on a people who are willing to deny ourselves, to be treated unfairly, to respond to anger and to hate and to persecution with love, 
to serve where nobody else wants to serve. There's a glory that rests on the people who would do that. A glory that would rest on people who are uncompromising, even willing to be controversial and offensive ourselves. And I say that obviously within the context of how Jesus lived his life. He was moved by compassion. He was driven by love for people. He was humble. He served. But sometimes he was still controversial and offensive. And I think so many times we just, we just want to fit in. We don't want to rock the boat too much. But there's a glory that rests on a people who are committed to following the Jesus of Scripture, obeying the Jesus of Scripture. And I don't know, persecution might be coming for us. There might be a time where we could be jailed for what we believe. And obviously we pray that that does not happen. I think it's, um, it's 1 Timothy 2. It says, pray for your leaders, pray for your government so that there will be peace. So we don't want that to happen, but I think it's so important for us to settle in our hearts that we're not going for the glory of this world. We're going for the glory of God.